are live. Greetings to our loyal WFYL listeners around the world. Welcome back to your Philadelphia live stream, only on the Freedom Station. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in once again, because you still have the right to hear and the right to be heard. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Mike G. As always with me are Philly Chris, Russ the producer, and Liberty Lee. And you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. And you can listen to our program every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on the Freedom Station, WFYL. So let's be heard. I want to remind our listeners that you can participate in the free and open exchange of thoughts and ideas throughout the entire week by visiting MikeGInTheMorning.com. What's it called, Philly Chris? MikeGInTheMorning.com. How about you, Russ? MikeGInTheMorning.com. Liberty? MikeGInTheMorning.com. Special guest, Ben Manis. What's it called? Mike, you want me to stay? I don't <laughs> want you to say it, sir. <laughs> Mike G in the morning.com. Just trying to figure out why a guy's putting mustard in cereal. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out soon enough. <laughs> you can check out all the shenanigans that Mike G and Philly Chris are up to throughout the entire week. Don't forget to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your barber, tell your Uncle Jerry, tell anybody who listen to check us out at Mike G in the morning.com. And with that, you know what time it is. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hit it, Russ. You know what time it is. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. We have a very special guest joining us for this episode of the Mike G in the Morning program. We've got Ben Manis. He's a journalist. He's an expert in compliance, investigation, security, and safety. Ben has served as an expert witness and a consultant as the principal of Manis and Associates for the last two decades, and he lived the absolute horror story of being the good guy with a gun and the wrong jurisdiction, which changed his life forever. We're going to talk about things from A to Z with him today. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. So, Ben, why don't you tell folks a little bit about where you're based and what you do to just get everybody acclimated? Yeah, so currently I am in Philadelphia, but I work globally. Um, since 2003, the proprietor of a small firm, Manison Associates. The associates are mainly uh, like I was when I for uh, when I formed it. A uh, I was an off-duty cop in D.C. Uh, at the time, this was pre-Heller, and that ended up being the law that got me. But uh, you, if you were doing some kind of armed protection detail, specialized security consulting, risk assessment in the district, uh, you mainly had to hire off-duty law enforcement mm. because no one could get a gun permit from 1977 to 2008. So um, it was my side hustle while I was a cop. And because of the misfortunes I had, it ended up being my principal job up into uh, the point where I was appointed the director of investigations at the American Board of Internal Medicine. And then after two terms there, um, when I turned out, I ended up going over to that full time again. And I worked in, you know, both security investigations and compliance, duty of care stuff. Mm. Uh, and that's important because what we're seeing nowadays, uh, things are getting a lot more dangerous again, like it was in the late eighties and early nineties when I jumped into this game. And as it gets more dangerous, the liability 
never gets accepted by the public authorities that may have contributed it to it getting more dangerous. Sure. So what it means is if you're a employer, if you're a landlord, you know, if you're a public venues manager, a nightclub manager, a hotel manager, a restaurateur, I don't care what you are. Um, something happening to someone, whether it be safety, because I am OSHA certified, or security on your premises, if you didn't have a plan, if you didn't have some kind of policy or procedure in place, it's on you. Mm-hmm. So don't just pick up the phone and call, you know, ADT or something. Hire an expert, get a plan, and then be an informed consumer in that marketplace. And that's what I do. Now, when you deal with these businesses, are they primarily big corporations or do you deal with small businesses as well? I'd have a mixture. Right now, I'm involved in a compliance contract for another month. Um, So now I got to go hustle for new work. (laughs) But uh, uh, for at least one more month out of the last, the better part of the year now, I've been working for a pretty big bank here in the Delaware Valley, um, you know, with two headquarters in both Wilmington and Philly. Um, But I've done expert witness work for lawyers like you, Mike. So, I mean, you've had, you had situations like I've been engaged twice, um, just in the last year, been called by, by attorneys and they have to go get their discovery and then call me back so that they're ready for me. But, uh, you know, if someone had a nightclub or an, an off premise at a, you know, a, a restaurant and a fight broke out and someone got shot in a parking lot. Wow. Blame. Is the duty of care on the restaurant or is it merely on the perp? Uh, you need someone like me to, to, to kind of delve into the, the depths of the case and find out where the liability lives. And then of course, my my joy is working with the more proactive folks, you know, even schools. I mean, there's you know pretty big districts right here in the Delaware Valley that have engaged me through you know other firms that um, have me doing threat assessments, one of which actually reestablished their police department as a result because wow. it was a district that straddled two small towns and the police could be there, but they can't literally be there 24 hours. So that district created a police department based on my recommendations. Then there was a college system that I did, similar thing, because we were responding after Partland. Um, I, I ran around with Andrew Pollock for a while. Uh, I remember Andrew Pollock lost his daughter, Parkley, mm-hmm. a former New Yorker like myself, mm-hmm. um, but he was a scrap metal guy. So when he got up at the White House and told President Trump, we have to fix it, and that became his big hashtag, fix it. You know, great. You've got a hashtag. Now you've got the 15 minutes of national spotlight. But the first thing people are going to ask you is, how do we fix it? Right. So I literally, I mean, I did a lot of emails and phone calls back and forth. But physically together, me and his crew, we had one real solid 16-hour day of work in D.C. where we did a congressional delegation. We had a meeting with a very large security manufacturer in Maryland. And then we literally went to the, um, uh, the Turning Point USA conference with his son to, to speak. Right. And we still had drinks at the, the hotel afterwards. So it was, it was one of those long days. But it, it, you know that, having met with then Congressman DeSantis on that delegation, mm. led us to the law that's now called the Guardian Law in Florida. And a similar law has since been passed here in Pennsylvania. And guess who's on the curriculum committee? Uh, one of my clients is PCCD's client. We write that entire curriculum for all the school safety officers at PA. So doesn't matter what sector, you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, you know, we need security at schools, but what about the restaurant? What about the bar, especially the bar? You know what I mean? Things like that. Um, simply picking up the phone and calling the cops in an era where there's very little consequences for violent crime isn't going to cut it anymore. So you have to create your own plan. Then all goes for things like disasters and business continuity, which another thing I do. Wow. Uh, um, you're looking at a dinosaur. I've been through 
the 9-11 planning, Washington, D.C.'s municipal planning for 9-11. Not, 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 sorry, 9-11. Jesus. Y2K. <clears throat> then I did 9-11. Then I did the cyber. And then on my external details in the homeland, I did the hurricanes, Katrina, read it. And then added Sandy with the medical board because we were global. <clears throat> so it's continuity of operations isn't just like, oh, well, we'll have everyone work from home like we saw with COVID. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if the IT infrastructure or the policy or the goal-based leadership supervision isn't there, having a computer isn't going to do it for you. Right. You, you really have to have your, your ducks in a row and think from the worst case scenario out. Do you think a lot of these businesses and these entities, whether they're large or small, overlook this and maybe find out when it's too late they're coming to you after the fact? I wouldn't have a client book if it wasn't the case. Wow. Unfortunately, yes. That is... And, and, and it's something... We're very um, akin to in America, uh, having worked overseas, uh, I will say um, we are in a very big hurry to quote unquote, get back to normal mm -hmm. um, or blame something external for not having a plan. Mm -hmm. um, great example of that would be active shooters, right? Now, if you look at the places that actually get workplace violence prevention plans, feasible ones and invest in physical security, um, they're, they're a very small microcosm of the global, which is let's blame something external, whether it's guns on the left, mental health on the right, and then pretend it, it's going to go away. And then, then it happens to you later. What, what are uh, the, some of the things on your radar, Ben, that maybe people are not thinking about as enough? Uh, well, physical security is always going to be your first line of defense there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you have two types of, if you're just looking at the workplace threat, the active shooter, right? It's not just workplace, it's faith-based, it's school-based, but- you know, the public public venues, right? Mm -hmm. You look at those things and you have internal threats and external threats, but the external threats, you know, 90% of the time, the door is open mm -hmm. and there's no security on site. Wow. And simple. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, once you, you have to, you have to do your low hanging fruit first and let's face it and not doing any fruit first, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're focusing on you. I mean, the, the public you know, the, the media concern, the talking points are never focused on what makes it work. Look, I'm a New Yorker originally. We've had the Sullivan Act in New York since 1900. Mm. So you mean to tell me gun control is what you're going to look at when there's an active shooter incident? Right. Because you've had it. Yeah. Chicago had, DC had it, you know, then we could go run down a lot. Right. So um, you look at the places where they do figure things out and you're you're looking at the ones with the shorter response times so you know the capital gazette uh annapolis maryland california seen within two minutes um texas they usually have someone on site providing armed security these interventions you're never going to stop crazy but we could start mitigating crazy and once we start doing that we could then look at insider threat which is early warning detection systems um, you know, we've all seen interviews. I remember covering uh, in in both the Arizona Republican in Philly Daily News did pieces on um, Adam Lanza, you know, the Sandy Hook, right? Mm -hmm. And his mother used to go to the bar and talk about how crazy his, you know, her kid is in the basement playing first person shooter games, writing mm -hmm. lists of people he wishes he could kill on his bedroom wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, honey, why didn't you do anything about it? Right. So, I mean, we have to really get into mechanisms, you know, and, and, and there are compromises there. I am, you know, an ardent Second Amendment person because I've obviously bore the brunt of it and you teased it and we'll let you get into it after this, I guess. But 
you know, for, for them to keep considering controlling the tool when there is absolutely no HIPAA exception on the form. So if we've all filled out the ATF form, there's a, a, a checkbox in it that says you're not under mental health treatment. You're not, you know. Well, not have, you, have you been adjudicated mentally defective or involuntarily committed to a mental hospital? Right. And we both know the only time that's going to actually return uh, is if you've been criminally adjudicated or sent by a court of law. Well, not exactly. So uh, we could just get into that a little bit because in Pennsylvania, and I, obviously I'm not licensed to practice in all 50 states, but I could talk a lot about the Mental Health Procedures Act here in Pennsylvania. There's a little bit of a misconception when it comes to uh, how these records come to be over here. Under the Mental Health Procedures Act, if somebody's been what we call 302'd, and they can be kept for up to 120 hours. If they want to keep you for longer than 120 hours, then they have to petition for a 303 within the first 72 hours. And when you talk about a 303 hearing, it's not in a courtroom with a judge who's in a robe or anything like that. It's typically a conference room at the hospital. Yeah. There's a hearing officer who sits at the head of the table. Um, and a lot of people mistakenly think that that's what it takes in order to become prohibited. But it isn't. The minute that certification is signed on that 302, which takes an accusation and a doctor's signature, then that person is prohibited from possessing firearms for life unless and until you seek the appropriate relief, whether it be expungement or relief from disabilities under 6105F. And, and, and the way that gets enforced here in Pennsylvania is they have to send what's known as an Act 77 notice once that 302 has been certified over to the Pennsylvania State Police, and that gets stored in the records for the Pennsylvania Instant Check System. So that's how these people pop on a 302, even though they've never been in front of a judge, they saw a doctor for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Once you get the accusation, you got that doctor's signature, that Act 77 notice is going. And we've even had cases, we're litigating one right now, where they have an Act 77 notice on this gentleman from over 20 years ago, they have no copy of the 302 application and no copy of the certification. Now, this gentleman swears up and down that he has never been 302'd. His mother testified at the hearing that his grandfather died that day or the day before, and they were at the funeral during that point in time, so it was impossible for him to be in a mental hospital involuntarily. We're waiting on the decision of that, but PSP had denied him and upheld the denial based on their record in the system, that X-77 notice in and of itself. So it, it, that's a complicated thing we could talk about for two years. Yeah, we could get in the wheel for listening to probably crashing your car right now. <laughs> Lack of coffee. <laughs> if you could throw some more numbers around, Mike. I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd with this. And listen, Mike, if we both serve, we both serve with go, you know, going to Coriol Kennedy Arletta to try to change something. One of the big things right. I was doing I was on his public safety advisory board. Mm -hmm. um, we were going to streamline the entire Pennsylvania, you know, the way, at least on the procedural side, things run because it is arcane the way everything's through acts, act numbers. Right. Um, in New York, for example, where I started, I went New York to DC to federal, okay? Actually, back and forth from federal. But in New York, where I started, you're either a peace officer or a police officer. That's it. So the fact that the, the state police don't want to recognize sheriffs in Pennsylvania because they're Act Two and we're Act One Twenty, and you know, oh, we all the constables. Yeah, don't even start talking about the constables. But <laughs> <laughs> they can't have a, a light in your car, which is the fact that, and you're a lawyer. The fact that no one has raised this suit 
because they're transporting a prisoner who may have a stroke. Mm. You know, the freak, the, the eye doctor, the organ donor vehicle has lights and sirens, but an armed constable doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Pennsylvania is just running like it's still the 1800s when it comes to you know statutory law. And why does this matter? This matters because a lot of the um, the stuff that has been passed off on the public as criminal justice uh, reform and in, in inequality is simply justifying crappy procedures that result in inequalities. I mean, let me let me put it to you this way: Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are both uh, cities straddled with woke DAs that have driving equality laws and all this crazy stuff. Um, they're both places where you're looking at an easy three hours off the street to process an arrest and at least three or four court appearances before, you know, we've decided whether or not we're going to trial because of this entirely ancient system. And you look at the, you know, the, the two, the three cities where crime, major cities, I'm not counting the small ones, where crime actually dropped in the United States last year, despite massive population increases, Miami, Dallas, and Houston. Dallas and Houston being blue cities. Mm. So it isn't a blue versus red thing, right? What do they have that we don't? When a cop comes off the street, they spend 20 minutes doing a probable cause form. They take the body and the form over to the county sheriff. The county sheriff walks that guy in front of a 24-hour magistrate who looks at that cop and says, do you swear and affirm? Yes, I do. You're either held or you're not. The decision's made. The preliminary hearing is literally right there. And it's not weeks, months you know, down the line where this poor schlub may be sitting at CFCF. So Krasner's had, had you all believe in that we needed to abolish cash bail because of inequalities. And he, then he throws the numbers in for your face. But no one's considered the fact that we have a completely dysfunctional sheriff system in the state. And it's not just here. It's most of these Rust Belt Northern states where these problems are happening. Wayne County, Michigan, Cook County, Illinois, the entire New York City system, you know, Jersey. So yeah, we could be copying the Joneses. And staying within our constitution, habeas, you know, constitutional and habeas responsibilities. That's why I have a living, because I look at best practices and try to apply them. But publicly, there is an industry out there to keep people in this system. It's a cottage industry. Right. And Krasner should know because he became wealthy on the recipient side of that industry before deciding he wanted to be Soros' candidate in Philadelphia. Mm. I, I want to go back to something that you've mentioned twice so far. It mentioned that you're a former New Yorker. Did I get that right? Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to be a New Yorker. And yes, I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that means, you know, warts and all. Injuries and all. Selected the correct team, although I, I, I have to admit, I've not watched an inning since they put out a very ignorant anti-gun tweet a while back. So, <laughs> yeah, Actually, they, they did a mad call on it. You know, a lot of the patriotic stuff, it is one thing I love about the Yankees. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the funny thing was, I mean, I was born into this. My father, you know, was a Yankee fan for the Bronx. His father was a Yankee fan for the Bronx. So uh, it wasn't until I got on the job, I was actually at an intellectual property rights conference. We're learning how to investigate piracy. That the, the security, the corporate security director from Tiffany's of all places was doing a quiz and throwing swag into the crowd. Uh, and he taught me that the the NY, the Yankees logo, was developed for the NYPD by Tiffany's. Oh. As a way, like, because they didn't wear patches in that era. Huh. Um, and NYPD said, no, we're good. We got plenty of logos. And then the Yankees said, we'll take it. 
Wow. The, the, so a lot of the patriotic stuff you see, and I'm sure there's some very angry Phillies fan out there right now. You're like, they suck anyhow, they buy your teams. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of the uh, the patriotic. So the the, the seventh inning stretch, West mm-hmm. America, right, um, emerged from the fact that the, the 9/11 attacks happened while the Yankees were in the playoffs, and they had to take a pause because you couldn't fly planes or travel or and public events for at least two weeks. Um, and the first time they came back, they had an NYPD officer who was an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was you know, a trained opera singer come out and do God Bless America to seventh inning. That's the famous game where Bush came out and threw out the first pitch in the FDNY. Oh, where, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, it was... The it Secret was Service like, agent was dressed like an umpire, right? You <laughs> see that? <laughs> might have been. Kuna, it was in a lot, though. So... <laughs> He threw a pretty good pitch, right? Didn't he actually throw? A pretty- he threw, well, he used to, he used to all in the ranges, so he was around. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're 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 all this you know kind of patriotic stuff they're doing around the ball game now, other than national anthem, was because the Yankees started it in in honor of all the guys we lost on 9-11. Uh, and another thing, for the last thirty five years, for no, there's no policy about it. It's not written anywhere. But the Yankees send a bouquet of flowers to every fallen cop in the country. Oh, wow. 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 So there's the right now, if a Boston cop, you know, and the MIT cop who died during, um, their, you know, the, the Boston bombers were mm-hmm. running and they killed him. Uh, Sean Collier, the little MIT cop, had a diehard Red Sox fan. Right. And he had this bouquet at his funeral from the Yankees. Because they wow. said, they don't care where you're from. You died in the line of duty, they're sending you flowers. That's great. Something else. So it's just it's just one of those like you're never gonna get that out of me. Mm. I never wouldn't try it any I'm tattooed with it, but it is what it is. <laughs> were, you, were you in New York on nine eleven? No, I was in DC. You were in DC. So I, I worked the Pentagon. Uh actually we're joint operations command. Um so there's some things I can talk about and some things I can gotcha. Yeah, whether whether or not we were shutting the city down, whether or not we were shutting Metro down, what were we gonna do when the third plane was still in the air? Mm. We knew where it was coming, um, working with Capitol and U.S. Secret Service Uniform Division to evacuate the areas around the two prospective targets there, and then sending CDU out to the Pentagon because uh, DPS, that now they call it the Pentagon Police, but it was DPS back then, and they were just overwhelmed. And Arlington only has 500 guys anyhow. So technically, that's a carve out. The Pentagon, the address is Washington, D.C., but it's actually in Arlington. It's across the river. Gotcha. So, um, we we sent our guy. We sent our CDU platoons out there to to work the scene, uh, and then after two, the I believe the first two weeks is what it took before we started getting days off again, and then then I started going in New York because um, I unfortunately knew knew three people, mm. NYPD. Oh, wow. so I, was, I wasn't gonna just sit home. Yeah, I, don't, I, 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 I went up there. I dug, I, did, I dug a little. Thank God I wasn't there all the time like my friends because they have to go get the physical every six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, real sad day, you know, not to take the focus away, but I was sitting there in high school in Staten Island, Staten Island Tech, and the kid who was sitting next to me in class when we got the news, unfortunately, his father did not come home that day. He was uh, a firefighter in New York. Did, were you raised? I ended up becoming a certified instructor in a, a program called Cat Eyes. Community Anti-Terrorism Training Institute. They're based out of New Jersey. Hmm. Um, they're based out of New Jersey because a retired 
the colonel, lieutenant colonel at the time from McGuire. He got out, you know, he retired and he started teaching for Jersey City. And they had him at the high school there. When you're coming off the turnpike, it's right on the it's on the cliff. So they have that full view of Lower Manhattan. And he's this whole classroom saw the plane go in. Wow. And he shortly thereafter resigned and went back to the military. He developed the Cat Eyes program on the side and you know, stayed in long enough to get his full bird. Um but there's a lot of guys. My old my old boss at Homeland was like that. He was the retired BNSF Railroad Police Chief out in California, uh, former Marine captain, and saw what was happening and signed up and went back. Became one of the first real guys they had at TSA. Hmm. It was a wild time. Were, yeah. were you raised in the Bronx, he said? No, my family's from the Bronx. My young, young years, um, my parents got divorced. This is, you know, it's a ride you can't go home again, right? Uh-huh. I can never go home again. Um, my New York childhood was in East Village. Okay. So my dad, we lived on 13th University, literally next door to the Lone Star Cafe. Mm-hmm. So when the stage door was open and my window was cracked, I heard some amazing music. Hmm. Um, and, and the East Village, you know, nowadays you talk about the East Village and it was, you know, rental bikes and hipsters. But uh, I was off the corner from Strobole Pizza, which was downstairs from the Bullmore Bowling Lanes. And, you know, you'd see Marky Ramone or the Beastie Boys in there. Or Ricky Ricky Powell was selling frozen lemonade in Washington Square Park. You know, where, where uh, the, the, the comedian there who would sit in the fountain and tell dirty jokes. And he was on Miami Vice and DC Cap Kid and Charlie Barnett. It's just, it was a different, it was gritty and real and broke and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you learn streets running. At the same time, my mom and dad divorced. My mom moved to L.A. Because she had showbiz dreams, right? And we lived in the valley because we weren't wealthy. So I got to experience LA before everyone became a total jerk, like that boogie nights, you know, ships. The Mm. sun was out, the traffic was low, and everyone kind of was just happy to be there Mm. in LA. So I got like two sides of two places that are just, they're dead forever. Gotcha. That's true. It's pretty cool. That's true. It's cool, but then I realized that's kind of why I love Philly. I was at 10 years into DC. Mm hmm. And I hate, D.C. isn't a place. It's somewhere you go to work for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a town home involved. There's an assigned parking spot. There's a chain restaurant. It's not real. Right, right. But people would like your friends there. There's a there's a cell phone. And people will not show up when they invite you somewhere. So, yeah, I never felt at home there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I take dates. I really like the Baltimore because they had a little Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then I, I got the opportunity to come to Philly, and Philly just felt like New York did at one end. Yeah, but, I like a small New York. I, I, there's a lot of things I like. How long you been in Philly? Oh, oh, wait. I got a sign oh. on the medical board. No, wait. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Got me here. I loved it. What are your favorite? Uh, I'm still in the city. What's your favorite cheesesteak place? You were talking about cheesesteak earlier. Cafe Carmel Cafe. in the Northeast. Oh, oh, okay. If you don't know it, now you do. I think I've heard of it. I haven't been there, though. It'll put, right. I'll put the Pepsi challenge up against Angelo's any day. And I, by the way, money's where my mouth is. Um, my my friend Maggie, uh, we go back a couple of decades. But she's New Orleans homicide. I don't know if you watched the first 48, the, the female with the tattoos. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, she came to her. Uh, her she's kind of half a widow. 
Uh, and her man, who was a New Orleans police lieutenant, he's from Bethlehem. So when she comes back for the anniversary, she, you know, she'll stay at my house, she'll borrow my car, she'll go to Bethlehem, pay her respects. Cool. Um, the last time she was in town, we did the Pepsi Challenge. We did a bang bang. We went from Angelo's, we went from Carmela's to Angelo's, tried both of them. Nice. She, <laughs> she, she bona fide it. It's, it's Carmela's. There we it go. It looks good. Like get up there and try it finally. Yeah, yeah. Come on up. Yeah, the Northeast is tremendous. <laughs> I like the Northeast. Good people up there. Philly, Chris, are those fighting words? Do you have a difference in opinion? There? <laughs> you, you know, you know, no, not at all. I'm I'm really not too particular. I yeah, do tend to. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank Oliveri is in my Masonic Lodge. Oh, okay. There you go. Oh, I should have said Pat's. Yeah, right. Uh, I was just going to mention Pat's. Actually, I was just there the other night. That's when I ran into uh, Bam from. Uh, you know, from um, Jackass, the the Bam. One of our listeners says Cafe Carmelo is about a half a mile from me, so he's going to have to take you up on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised um, he hasn't taken yeah, me. Tell, tell Joe I sat you. All right, all right. I mean, I, I took I two weeks ago. I was in there because I have my another buddy staying with me because I got to stay with him in uh, in uh, July. He's Carbonetti. He's Carbonetti de Mapoli. He, he, you know, he hunts the mafia. Well, the Camorra. Let's be, let's be real. We call it the mafia. It actually depends on where you are. He's enabled. Good. So, um, hmm. that's yeah, where my he, family's from. He came stateside, yeah. uh, you know, for a couple of weeks. Kids live in DC. So we, uh, we took, I took him, that's where I took him for the cheesesteak. And, wow. and all the owner's family speaks at time. They come over. It's, it was, I was like, this is, this is real. You're not getting this at gyms. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, when you growing up in New York and California, these are places that are not exactly known as being uh, uh, strongholds for the Second Amendment. Obviously, when was it that you started to get into the Second Amendment and get exposed to firearms? Was it through law enforcement? Yeah, yeah. I actually was issued a gun before I I bought a gun. Wow. Yeah, you because know, it was New York. Uh, so it was NYPD or? Uh, no, it was in an armed capacity with NYPD because I was actually too young to carry at that point. So 18, fresh out of high school, I uh, I became a summer special in Long Beach. Okay. Maybe you know New York. Long Beach is that first town on the Nassau side um, into Long Island. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you get this little bridge with the Atlantic Beach Bridge. Long Beach is on one side, far Rockaway, Queens, which is the militarized zone. The militarized zone on the shore is <laughs> is on the other side of the, you know, the bridge. <laughs> Um, and this, this cool little town, we used to go, you know, in the summer in my senior high school, um, they had summer specials, like you see jurors. So that was my first shield, my first foray. Um, and then, uh, at the same time I was an auxiliary in Manhattan for college credit while I was at John Jay doing my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as soon as I hit 20, you know, I was testing for the NYPD. That was the year Giuliani came in and changed the requirements. So it was 20 with a high school diploma when I took the test and scored like a 98, right? Wow. And then um, he came in and made a 22 with 60 credits. Oh, wow. Wow. Ah, crap. What do I do? And the Federal Protective Service was hiring because of the First World Trade Center bomber trials at the time. Right. Because Mary Jo White, who was then the U.S. attorney under Clinton, she said- I want all foreign terrorists tried in New York because we have the expertise to try it here. Not thinking, you know, that that would make it a bigger target, which we later found out. No, um, yeah, you know, and and that's how that started. 
that's how my career started. I did two and a half years on that job, working on a, a detail with the marshals and the NYPD. And then I went to DC because an idiot wants to go kick indoors in an even more struggling city. <laughs> but it was a culture shock. You come from a city with 40,000 cops and a mayor who was a U.S. attorney who, you know, was all about the job. And then you go to, you know, you basically go to the wire. Baltimore and Washington are sister cities. It was the same situation. Marion Barry hired anyone with a pulse uh, for his, you know, both his stints as mayor. Remember, he came back. You know, he was the pre-get locked up, pre-crack video. Mm. And he, when he got out of jail, he ran and won again and turned back. <laughs> only, in, only in Washington. You know, because other people think of Washington, and this happens to me all the time. People go, oh, D.C.'s so beautiful. I love going there. Take my kids there. We go to Smithsonian. I go, that's not the city. Mm -hmm. You're going to federally controlled areas. U.S. Right. Park Police uh, and the Capitol Police. Right. There's more U.S. Capitol Police officers, and if you wanted to get into January 6th, we can. But there's more U.S. Capitol Police officers than there are Seattle police officers. Wow. No kidding. So that's one neighborhood in a 28 square mile city versus a 500,000 person city. Yeah. It's one right. Northwest. It's a big difference. That's a huge difference. So yeah, when people say like DC, they're going to places where, and, and, and the irony is now because they're not prosecuting a lot of crime down there, it's still, it's bleeding into those areas, mm -hmm. Georgetown, DuPont, Capitol wow. Hill. Right. Yeah. It's changing. Uh, it's changing. But I didn't get to work that. They stuck my ass in Anacostia. <laughs> I had a, I literally had a murder on my first day. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. My field training officer dumped me at a scene. You know, you watch movies and there's always like 15 cops milling around with notebooks and cameras. Right. No, it was me alone in an apartment with a woman who got shot by her, her at-large baby daddy. That's crazy. This is your first day. My first day. And I just sit with her for like two and a half hours because DC only has one meat wagon. Wow. So after the scene uh, process and detectives leave, why wow. wait until that guy frees up to come back up with the stiff? Jeez, that's crazy. Are you thinking at that point? Are you thinking, <laughs> I immediately regret this decision? <laughs> Can I actually started regretting it in the academy? Wow. Oh, really? They didn't do laterals. And, and, and why is because they started announcing that they were going to do laterals literally as I was ending seven months in their academy. I'm like, oh, great. You really had your shit together. Um, but you just, that culture shock hits you in the head because, you know, there are certain jurisdictions and there's a lot of them. And unfortunately, Philly wasn't one and it's becoming one. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of jurisdictions out there where good enough's just good enough. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to curse? Hey, I'm sorry. No, I was just making a note for the producers. <laughs> it, go, it goes on a regular waves tomorrow. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make it FCC yeah. friendly before that. <laughs> Please be yourself, Joe. Please be yourself. I am not like not Don Stenzlin. <laughs> sorry, guys. No, don't worry about it. It's okay. We're, we're hanging with the yeah. really, you know, the, the yeah. unfiltered version. That's yeah. all. Uh, so, yeah. Ultimately, so, so it's it's one of those situations where. They had bare minimum. We didn't even have air support when I got there. Mm -hmm. We used to have to call the U.S. Park Police for air support. Uh, Barry sold our helicopters. Really? Uh, just just yeah, get rid of the helicopters. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a, a spirit animal 
who taught me, you know, helps, he teaches me how to be a better journalist named Charlie Leduff, who's got a Pulitzer, he's out in Detroit. And we sometimes we'll just have a few drinks and, and, and talk. If I'm not in Detroit, we'll do it on the phone. But um, he, he's, he's hilarious, man, because that's another one of those huge cities and it's just barely getting by. Right. Yeah. No other reason than a complete lack of political will to fix it. Right. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, you know, eventually we get to your horror story. How do we get there from D.C.? You ended up being with the federal government after that? So, okay. No, this is how this happens. And we might as well just get launched right into it. I don't want to jump your plate. But um, I'm a cop in D.C. and I'm a, a black cloud guy. I volunteer for every terrible thing that's happening. <laughs> so, um you know, we're talking the civil disturbance unit. That's the guys who go out with the crowds and the protests. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, some great pictures of me floating around the internet wearing, you know, the helmet and all the pads and the two-sided stick and the, you know, the shield. Right. Um, going into, you know, headlong into crowds, uh, gas munitions, things like that. But we also worked the presidential overtime. We worked, you know, you have to be CDU certified to get a lot of the movies yeah, if they're filming a movie in town, the West Wing, Minority Report, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and then I and then I, you know, I was in 60, I was doing jump outs, I was working power shift. I was, I was doing all that, you know, that young, dumb, full of you know what stuff um, to go be a police in, in a city like that. And uh, I got, I was working uh, Intel, Midnight Intel in what later became the Fusion Center. So I'm, I'm pulling all kinds of things and a guy in a city paper which is the free weekly paper in D.C. We don't have one in Philly anymore. We used to actually end up talking about a, a tale of redemption uh, up until it folded its print edition. I was writing for the weekly. I was doing covers. Oh, wow. You know, breaking, breaking stories for the weekly here. But, you know, the free weeklies, right? Music in the front, hookers in the back. The good old days. Yeah. And this guy wrote this piece about cops in D.C. It was just a, a smear piece, but he named one of my my former vice squad compatriots in, in 6D and basically accused the guy of, you know, digitally raping a suspect in the street, like pulling his pants down and finger. It's just most outlandish stuff. Mm. It, you know, of course, it was uncorroborated. So, only like, curiosity killed the cop. Uh, what's this dude? Usually, when you have one of those, it's not nowadays. It's just straight bias. But twenty years ago, it was usually because the guy had a run in. Uh, so I, I wanted, I, I punched him up because I wanted to see if the dude had some kind of run in with the cops. And then I put the we had a a, a Yahoo message group at the time. This oh yeah, way before social media. Uh, and in that message group, which was a members only group for cops. In, in the district, I said, look, this guy lives here in this area, and he's obviously got a problem with us. So, you know, enforce your law, enforce your tickets, don't get caught out there. You know what I mean? So and he he made a complaint to Chief Ramsey. Yeah, the same guy who ended up coming to Philly after I moved here. <laughs> <laughs> and basically said it was an attack of the free press, and I was doxing him and all this good stuff. And they tried to fire him. But they didn't have a. They didn't have a social media policy. This is two thousand two, right? Mm-hmm. B, um, other than running the guy 
in the system to see if he had a problem. I didn't really do anything. I just told everyone to, you know, it was tongue in cheek of telling everyone to mind their P's and Q's. Uh, so the termination that they proposed got overturned. And in the interim, because what happens in DC when they overturn an unlawful termination is they lose the paperwork in the stack at the Public Employees Relations Board that's supposed to ratify it. So years go by and I'm waiting to get back. Well, Homeland Security actually hires me as an inspector, gives me a secret clearance and puts me in charge of doing threat assessments at one of the teams doing threat assessments for the entire Baltimore, Richmond, Washington corridor. Oh, wow. It's like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Um, And I, you know, the thing about those is it's conditional carry because you're a regulatory inspector. So I had a, a Virginia permit. I lived in Virginia, never lived in the district. Um, and I had my side hustle at a bar, nightclub, restaurant. And I was there one night working and I intervened. And the guy tried to beam one of my bouncers in the head with a, a pint glass and I disarmed him. I put him to the ground. And that's when all his boys jumped me and tried to grab me and all this. And I backed them off. Badge here, gun here. You know, back up, back up, picked up the guy, brought him across the street, sat him on the curb, called the cops myself for assistance. Yeah. And guess who got arrested that night? The guy with the gun. The guy. The guy. <laughs> As Mike always says, the guy. The guy with the gun gets arrested. Mm-hmm. Then they try to say, oh, there's probable cause you assaulted. But at the end of the day, the only charge there was, was the gun. And when we tried to break that down to a misdemeanor UAUF, they added, a, they, they said they'd plea out no time and added a misdemeanor false personation charge because they used a Homeland Security shield as a police shield. So oh. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And here's the irony. After that, I get the affidavit from the original dude that I never laid a hand on. Mm-hmm. And the district was still forced to reinstate me retroactively. So we try to get a writ of quorum nobis, big legal term, Michael explained to you later. But we try to get a rid of Coram Novus in front of, of the D.C. Superior Court saying, hey, guys, this whole case was hinged upon this guy's right to carry. And he was a du jour police officer that night. Mm-hmm. He was re- reinstated and he was supposed to be on the job that night with 218 privileges. Hmm. They didn't hear it. They just because it's D.C. and there's no local. Oh, so that's why Leo's didn't apply because you weren't officially reinstated is what they said. Yeah. Wow. Because so, I was always wondering that. DC to this day, as we sit, <laughs> DC is still uh, one of those jurisdictions where Leos is in question. Because mm-hmm. uh, not a state, right? Because it's not a state, right? Well, it's 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 not a state, but you have to understand forever. Like when I was on the job, let's say you retired, you'd it's have to do the entire 25 years mm-hmm. with the district to get retirement credentials. Right. Otherwise, you were just a resignation. Um, and it wasn't until five, 10 years ago that they started giving a separate, what they call firearms identification card mm-hmm. for Leosa in the district. Right. Because only an eighth of the job lives in the district. Uh, so what they used to do was like the okie doke. They used to tell you to go get your permit from Fairfax or Arlington or Montgomery or wherever. And then when you try to use it in the city, they'd say it doesn't apply. So ridiculous. That's why they got sued. It wasn't Heller. Heller was the, the tip of the spear. Um, but a really the one that mattered in the district was Grace. Mm-hmm. So Grace in pink pistols. Um, that's why you'll never hear me saying anything homophobic. Is Grace in pink pistols was the real seminal 
Mm. Well, gun case, not just in D.C. nationally. Why? Because it doesn't talk about keeping it in your house. Right. It talks about packing it concealed on the street with a permit. How did you get through that, Ben? Like, what was your mental state? Like, I can't imagine being in your shoes with the credentials and the background, the history you have, and then all of a sudden, you know, after doing a good deed, you, you find yourself in that situation. How did you, like, get through that? I mean, it would drive some people crazy, yeah. I still get trolled. Okay, do you really? Oh, constantly, because, and, and I'll get into that in a second, but your, your, your question was how I got through, and, and look, I, I'm not going to offer platitudes, mm-hmm. like, oh, faith. I'm not saying faith's great. If you have faith, God bless you. Um, initially, it was strictly survival instinct. Mm. I needed to pay my bills. I needed to get out of this guy's basement. Uh, you know, I was living in a guy's basement because I had no job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, you slowly put the pieces back together. It started, I was selling cars. And then I realized after the thing was adjudicated and I wasn't given any time, you know, yeah, the record is terrible, but um, they transferred my probationary sentence to Virginia where literally the probation officer on the first meet goes, this isn't a crime here. Don't do anything and I won't see you ever again. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so, it was, yeah, I mean, because I'm sure he's heard about it before, uh, you know, being right across the river. So, it was, it was one of those situations where, um, you know, I went from selling cars to... Uh, you know, I, I got a, back at consulting and then I got an engagement with an Israeli firm that wanted to, um, project manage contracts doing Homeland Security technology, credentialing technology in U.S. law enforcement and fire. And they didn't know how to speak the language, not just literally, obviously every, every Israeli speaks English. Um, but they just, they, they, you know, our, our system is really different in convoluted compared to theirs where they just have a national police shin bet which is all their federal law enforcement rolled into one you know what i mean and and it's just yeah it was it's a lot easier to sell those technologies there than it is here so uh, they gave me a job and i got my feet back under me and i went from there because i worked you know i got contracts in los angeles again going commuting back to la uh, here in the Southeast Task Force, so all, not just Philly, but the whole entire five-county region, Columbus, Ohio, you know, um, it was pretty easy to get the confidence again to apply for jobs like the one I had with the medical board. And by the time I did, and I had the six-month vetting process to get that job, uh, I was reinstated. You know, I had started, you know, people with starting in Heller had been ruled on by then. So it was really just a waiting game to see how ludicrous, even from a left, I mean, the, Met, the American Board of Internal Medicine is a left-leaning organization. Sure. But, you know, you can't look at all the credentials I have and go, you got popped for carrying a gun? I'm <laughs> Olympic shooter for the police department. Right. 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 <laughs> the very job that locked me up used to send me to, they, they send me to Cocoa Beach, Florida for two weeks. literally the the entire length of the games i had maybe a day and a half of shooting i got to live on the did you know anybody who you had to deal with during the process because your history i'm sorry i couldn't during the criminal case did you know anybody that you were dealing with over there no that and see that's the the real pain the is i'm not the officer who you know put me in cuffs and the sergeant who approved it 
were both taken aside by the first officer on the scene when I called 911, who was in my platoon, the academy. Oh, wow. Really? And that officer, you know, black guy, DC guy, you know, former housing cop who transferred over, he went, that guy's a police. That guy's the real deal. I don't, you, this is, you can't be locking him up. <laughs> they did it anyway. They did it anyway. Uh, and because, so in, in, and there's, you want to get into this, we'll get into this. Um, under Ramsey and Lanier, there were the, the two chiefs, you know, one, the Lanier was after Ramsey, but there was an incentivized structure, especially in the first and third districts and second districts are the ones where you were more likely to have some, you know, get guns off the street, right? Mm -hmm. And I got guns off the street, but there's a big difference than pulling a, in, you know, stolen or illegally trafficked. <laughs> weapon out of a drug wall his waistband at 14th and T, which is an opening a drug market in, yeah. you know, Anacostia, um, versus what they were doing in the first, second, and third districts, which is, you know, that I went to the preliminary hearing of, you don't think my case is going to light a fire under your head. I'm at the preliminary. The prelims all happen in chunks because we don't have a local court. We have a federal court mm -hmm. that serves the local city. Right. So they kind of schedule you by officer and district. Um, the guy who locked me up, the case on the docket before me in his prelim chunk was an active duty Coast Guard boarding officer who had his weapon in his glove box, cutting through the district, 395 cuts through from his station in Maryland to his house in Virginia. He gets stopped for traffic, tells the cop because he's responsible. This is not help. <laughs> he said because he's responsible right. because he does... He's stupid and doesn't know his rights. <laughs> hey, I'm breaking the law right now. I just want to let you because, know. Because let's face it, Fairfax County, where we live, and PG County, Charles County, Oxon Hill, you know, the, the, the Coast Guard station on the river, uh, they're not going to, they're going to see you're in BDUs and go, hey, have a go. Right. They ain't even going to stop you. You know, you're part of the solution. You're not part of the problem. So- yeah, I mean, this is the kind of, there was an incentive structure for getting guns off the street. You didn't really care who's got it. Mm. Uh, and let's face it, if you're balancing a narrative, guys like me, it, it isn't personal. Right. It, it fits. Because, it, you know, you have a lot of one thing and then the occasional idiot who forgets they had their weapon on their hip with a Virginia permit. Mm -hmm. But in my case, didn't get pled out. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, what's the worst part about all this is it taking place in D.C. because you have cases like Shanine Allen, who ended up in New Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar. I know all, I know it well. Their offer was seven and a half years on that one. Fortunately, uh, Knappen was able to get that taken care of. And you have other people who end up in Jersey who ended up with pardons from Governor Christie when he was in office, people who were what I call accidental criminals, right? Yeah. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't harm anybody. They weren't trying to do anything illegal. Uh, but how about the uh, how about right? the Burlington County case with the the, the Pennsylvania Corrections Office? Yep, but very familiar. Very familiar. The irony is, the New Jersey Corrections Officers do have care. Right, because they're covered under Leosa. They got the yeah. authority of arrest, which is and which is something, by the way, on Burletta's committee we. That's how we got the corrections endorsement, because uh -uh. It, it makes no sense for New York and New Jersey, the bordering states, to have 
peace officer status, right? And our guys just to be guards. If you are worked inside, it's it's real work. Mm. So for these guys to get treated like they're somehow less than their peers right across the river, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And you were talking earlier about how there's not really a consistency or any uniformity with law enforcement in Pennsylvania and the difference between the sheriffs and the constables. There's actually a case out of New York where they deemed a constable to be covered under Leoza, yeah. who is carrying out there. Uh, but a corrections officer doesn't have the authority of arrest, so it's really all over the map. Which, I mean, it's a two-pronged approach. One has to be, and you know, I would love to, I mean, look, if, I'm, not, I'm not a jerk about it. If Shapiro wants these policies, we've got them drafted. Mm. And I'm coming, to, you know, because if you look at our committee, it's not partisan. You know, Mike Bresden from 22, Served you know, as paramedics in Kensington. Mm -hmm. um, it was the corrections officers. It was me. It was the sheriff's association. So we have great policy that I would love to see come to fruition. I don't care if it's an R or a D and brings it. But yeah, I mean, the first step has to be the the agencies need to be recognized. Mm -hmm. If you're doing the job, again, that same correction officer, if he's got to take a, a prisoner to the hospital, has a weapon on his head. Right. Right. So what are you saying? He's obviously certified, trained to carry that weapon. So under the Pennsylvania cost, you know, the constat. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it suddenly changes when they punch at, even though there's now a federal law saying these guys are at risk, <laughs> it, it makes absolutely no, yeah, sense. It's no sense. And that's actually why in New York, in, in New Jersey, there's a law. I mean, by the way, they work outside the wall. The best gang intelligence in New York City comes from the corrections department, not from the NYPD. Mm. Mm. So, if they see it on the inside yeah they've got them all in one place you might as well listen right so, yeah so one of those things where you're you're um you're really shooting yourself in the foot by you know making these guys less than yeah for sure because, because honestly you know there are certain political it's to be one um you know let the state police have the ear of the governor and they don't want to see that any other that's all the time we got for today stick around for we the people of the constitution matters pastor david whitney professor phil duffy and i'll be joining as your legal analyst we miss you ellie daddy loves you